Can you guys stand as the Word of God is read over us? Okay, we're in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Amen. Thank you, Alan. You guys may have a seat. Thank you for tracking with us through this book. You can always listen to previous sermons, by the way, on our website. So on Saturday, March 4th, 1933, Franklin Delano Roosevelt gave his first inaugural address to the nation during the Great Depression three and a half years after the stock market crash of 1929, and in it he said this famous line, let me assert my belief, my firm belief, that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And then he went on to talk about how fear will make us retreat when we should push forward. It will make us shrink back when we should have the courage to continue on. It will cause us to no longer be thankful for the bountiful blessings we have, but will focus too much on the loss of material privileges that the nation was facing at the time. And indeed, fear is a powerful thing. Fear is a powerful thing that we must be on guard against. It will make us... You know this by experience. It will make us manipulate situations, try to manipulate people, because we cannot fully trust God with those situations or those people. It will make us hammer loved ones, spouses, kids with our words and our arguments as a way of persuading them to show them that they are wrong instead of trusting God and his spirit to work on them. Fear will make us keep our mouth shut when we should be opening it to tell about the good things of Jesus and to share his praises with others because we don't trust that God might be at work in the hearts of neighbors and coworkers. Fear will keep us from giving away money that we feel we should give away because an extra bill pops up and we cannot trust that God will provide for our needs. Fear will make us flee to a new neighborhood or town or city or state or country where we think it's going to be more convenient or more comfortable for our lifestyle because we cannot believe or trust that God would have us be a light in the darkness around us. Fear will make us stay put 
when we ought to go to a new city or town or state or country because we cannot trust that God would send us to a place that's more uncomfortable or more inconvenient. Fear is a powerful thing, and we have to be on guard against it. I don't know if I would go so far as to say we have to fear fear, or we should fear, but uh, I would say it's something to be on guard against because there are many things in our life that will trigger fear. It will cause us to react, sometimes out of past hurts, past trauma. I remember when I broke my big toe five, six years ago, the truck out there, I was unloading it for Christmas Eve Eve, it smashed into my big toe. It was before our Christmas Eve service. I knew it was broken. I was afraid to take my shoe off. Once I did, it blew up. And I remember the next two weeks, any time somebody got close to that foot, I wanted to kill them. I saw them as an enemy. How dare they nudge my foot, my big toe? Don't they know how much it hurts? Of course they didn't know. But my past trauma, my hurt, caused me to be on guard and to fear people getting too close. And that happens to us in our lives. This is a story, this is the passage that Alan just read from that is about fear and faith. It's about how fear and faith are often mingled together in our souls. We're often operating out of both. We swing back and forth. We're inconsistent. And yet it's a story about a faithful Jesus who is always present, always willing to save, always willing to be faithful, even when we are lacking faith. So today's title is Eyes on the King, Not on the Waves. Eyes on the King, Not on the Waves. Eyes on the king, not on the waves. This is a story that literally happened. Matthew writes this not as a parable, not as a fable, but as something that literally happened. He was in the boat. He was watching this take place. And yet, he wrote it as an illustration for what the Christian life and the Christian walk are supposed to be. In other words, he didn't write this in order to say to us, you ought to be walking on the water. You ought to go to the Jersey Shore and walk on water as well. We don't see this happen anywhere else in Scripture. This wasn't a normative practice for the early church. This didn't happen in the book of Acts. doesn't mean it can't happen. doesn't mean it won't happen. Um, but it's not something that we're called to step into in the same way that Matthew's writing it to say, you are called to step into things as a believer in Jesus, and this is a real living illustration of how to handle those things. Things that Jesus said to do, like, go oh, make disciples, Go proclaim the kingdom to hard hearts. Go heal the sick. Go cast out demons. Go do things that are over your head and seem impossible. Go do justice. Go care for the orphans and the widows in their distress, no matter what it costs you. Well, I can't afford it. Go and trust me with that. So Matthew writes this as an illustration, and I see nine things for us to take away from this. Nine things. If you want to make, take notes and follow along with those nine things, you can, but... Um, I'm, I'm going to just trust that one, two, maybe three of those pop out at you. God will highlight one or two or three of those for you in your heart. Matthew is telling the story to give us courage to step into things, especially when storms are all around us. So Lord Jesus, open our hearts to hear what you would have us hear. And then, Lord Jesus, give us the boldness and the courage to do what you would have us do with what we hear. Jesus, everybody who's here, everybody who's watching online, um, don't let the devil snatch away seeds that get planted because we run off to other things or get distracted. 
plant, water, make things grow, and make our lives be different as a result of your word. In your name, amen. Okay, nine points to make. Each one will take about 10 minutes, so it's a 90-minute sermon. Just kidding, just kidding. Relax. Here we go. If you're here for the first time, this will actually be shorter than normal. Verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. So immediately, this came right after what we looked at last week, which, is, which was the feeding of 5,000 5, men plus women and children. So upwards of 20,000 perhaps. Immediately after that, Jesus sends his disciples off, he dismisses the crowd, and he goes away to pray. It is nighttime. Now, if you were here last week, I had said that prior to the feeding of the crowds, Jesus had found out that his uh, cousin John the Baptist had been murdered by King Herod, and so he was sad. He withdrew to be alone, to grieve, and the crowds kept pressing him. But instead of getting ticked off at the crowds, he had compassion on them. He healed them. Then he did the miracle with the fishes and loaves. And now he's like, okay, now I'm going to be alone. Sends the crowds off. Uh, and then he sends the disciples off. Because sometimes you even want to be alone from, away from your friends, right? Sometimes you need space from your closest friends. Can I get an amen? Yeah, amen. So he goes to spend time in prayer. And what I thought was interesting was that after a, probably a long day, tiring day, emotionally draining day, physically draining day, he goes to pray. He gives up sleep in order to pray. And that was the first point that stood out to me. Sometimes you need to sacrifice physical rest in order to get spiritual strength. We associate the two. We put them together too often. And sometimes, sometimes you do need a nap. Take, go home, take a nap. But sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we feel so burnt out that we think what I need is to binge on Netflix this weekend. What I need is to sleep in. What I need is to play more video games. When really what you need to do is push aside some of those things, some of those forms of escape, maybe even physical rest, in order to fix our eyes on God. Just like Jesus did in his humanity. He fixed his eyes in union with the Father. He fixed his eyes on his Father. Always. Always. And that's what we're called to do. Eyes on the king, one way we do that wait, is to pray. It's the primary way to do, we do that. We fix our eyes. I wake up every morning. I can't move on with my day without time in prayer. Not because I'm so spiritual, but because the older I get, the more I realize how uh, much I am not spiritual without Jesus' help. The more I realize how easily irritated I am or easily anxious I am or easily bothered by things I am, easily distracted I am, I need to fix my eyes on the king, fix my eyes on the father, the son, the spirit. So that was number one that popped out to me. Let's keep going. Later that night he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So the disciples are out on the boat. They're trying to get to the other side. Waves are coming against it because the wind is against them. Another way that that uh, wind being against it could be phrased is the wind was contrary to them. They were going one way and there was a wind that was contrary to the way they were going. There was an obstacle pushing them back. They had a goal in mind somewhere that Jesus had sent them to and yet there was wind and waves pushing against them. Anybody feel like right now you are in a season where you're heading somewhere. You feel like Jesus has called you to something, called you to accomplish something, called you to work on something, and there is something against you, contrary to you. Anybody? One person over there, Charles. Yes, I can relate to you, Charles. Nobody else can, apparently. 
All kinds of things. You build a house like Steve and Jess are doing, and there's permit troubles. Maybe you're fighting for your marriage, and then you find out that your counselor is leaving the practice, a counselor that you took months to build trust with. You're like, what the heck? You're mentoring somebody through an addiction, and they've been sober for X amount of time, and then all of a sudden they go off the wagon. They, they start hanging out with old friends, and you're like, what? All, after all that time, all that investment, the wind and the waves come against us. So number two, sometimes we will not sense God in the middle of the storm. The disciples were alone. They didn't see Jesus around them. They thought they were alone, and sometimes we, in the middle of those storms, when things come against us, we feel like, I don't feel Jesus. I don't see Jesus. I'm praying. I don't sense his presence anymore like I used to. And we're left to conclude that God has forgotten about us. We might not say it. We might not think it consciously, but in the back of our head, it sinks into our hearts, and that's how we feel. I'm forgotten about. God's got busier things or other things to do that's keeping him busy. Let's keep going. Verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. So they're not alone anymore. Jesus knew where they were. He knew what was going down. In a Gospel of John, Jesus said, I, I only do what I see the Father doing. So I'm, I'm going to surmise that he's praying up on the mountain with his Father and the father's like, okay, now it's time for you to go meet your boys out on the lake because storms are against them, and I'm up to something tonight. There he goes, walking on the water. Crazy miracle, right? The, the God who created the laws of science, who then submitted to the laws of science in his humanity, stepping into a baby, is now overriding the laws of science to showcase his, his deity, his power, his majesty. But the disciples have not seen anything like this before, and they freak out. And they think it's a ghost. And they cry out in fear. Third point. Sometimes we don't recognize Jesus coming to us in the storm because he comes in a form we don't expect. They didn't expect to see him walking on the water, so they're freaking out. It's, it's interesting that Matthew doesn't talk about them freaking out in fear until they see Jesus. I thought that was interesting. They don't freak out until Jesus is there because they don't recognize him. They can't imagine he would come to them in that form or that fashion. And isn't that so much like us? We pray for a situation. Jesus is up to something. We don't recognize it. We had our set of expectations for how he was going to answer that prayer. And then we freak out even more. I've known a number of parents over the years who pray that their teenage son or daughter, young adult son or daughter would... Come to faith in Jesus. It's all I care about. It's the most important thing. And then they get arrested for possession of something. Put in jail. And I was praying and I can't believe it got worse. Can't see that perhaps Jesus is in that. Getting your son or daughter arrested, put away, set aside so that somebody can come minister to them while they're getting sobered up. God works in all kinds of ways to get a hold of our hearts. To bring us to him. The Apostle Paul would later be put in prison on a few occasions. And by being a prisoner, he proclaims the gospel to kings, to governors, to palace guard. 
He knew that would happen. He doesn't freak out and say, man, I can't believe it. My whole ministry is derailed because he knew. Jesus had said to him, you're going to share the message of who I am with Gentiles, with non-Jews. And so when he gets arrested and he's brought before these people in power, he doesn't see that as a negative. He's like, all right, here's my opportunity. Jesus is in this. Yes, it's a storm. Yes, it's uncomfortable. But Jesus is in this. He even says in the book of Philippians, I praise God for the change because I get to, the whole, he said the whole palace guard has heard the gospel because of my chains. He sees that Jesus is in the storm. Let's keep going. Verse 27. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. So take courage, be encouraged, be filled with courage. Don't freak out. Have courage in this. Have the courage to be content in this storm. Don't worry about what you, it's me. You didn't recognize me in the middle of this, but it's me. So number four, when confusing times come, we can know for certain that God's will is to overcome fear. Sometimes we're in the middle of things, we don't know exactly which way to go. It's not super clear from scripture. We don't know. We're in the middle of storms. We're in the middle of scary times. And we're confused about path A or path B. You get diagnosed with cancer and you're like, well, should I take this chemo route, this route, this natural alternative route? Which way should I go? You get laid off and you think, should I, get this, should I take this lower paying job that just got offered to me? Or should I hold out and wait, collect unemployment perhaps, keep applying for the better jobs? Might not be super clear. You're in a conflict with somebody, a family member, a spouse, and you've tried counseling, and you've worked through it. You've tried couples counseling. You've tried individual counseling. You're like, well, what, what, should I try this? Should I try that? We may not always be super clear on which path to go, but what we can know for sure is don't be afraid. Over and over again, this command is repeated throughout Scripture. Jesus does not want us choosing a path based on fear. It, whatever path we choose, it might be, hey, you pick. Just don't let it be a reaction to fear. He doesn't want us to be choosing our paths out of fear. Do not be afraid. It's all over Scripture. Because, again, fear will make us do things that are contrary to what Christ has called us to do. It'll make us do things and say things that he doesn't want us doing and saying. It'll keep us from doing and saying things that he does want us doing. And he does want us saying. Here's the thing. If you belong to Jesus, not everybody does yet. But if you belong to Jesus, I'm talking to you Christ followers right now. If you belong to the king of the universe, he wants you to know in your head that you don't have to be afraid but then he wants you to live as if you really belong to him by not acting in fear. Don't be afraid because you're making the king that you claim to worship look small by acting in fear. Right? When we react out of fear, we're showing the world the king that I worship and sing songs to every Sunday, he's actually pretty small. I sing songs about him providing, but I don't really think he's going to provide, so I'm going to shrink back from my generosity right now. I'm not going to love those who are persecuting me because he's actually really small and he can't protect me. 
Don't make the king look bad by acting out of fear. That's why he repeats it. You belong to me. You belong to me. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I remember when my girls were little, we would go to the beach. I'd convince them to go out far with me, right? I'd be holding them. And we'd, it'd be like up to here on me and up to here. And they'd, start, they'd start to worry. Waves are coming. I'm like, don't worry. They're just going to crash over us. Just hold your breath. It's okay. But they would freak out. And I'm like, hey, I got you. And at some point, it's like, do you not, like, does this not matter that I'm holding you? Does this matter that I got you? You're not here alone. It's like they forget that I'm there because they're focused on this wave coming. I'm jumping ahead of myself, actually. Verse 28, let's look what happens. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. I always find this interesting. Peter is the only one. He's the only one. Peter's a guy, he just wants to experience all that Jesus has for him. He wants to take it all in. Jesus, if you're doing something, I want to be part of it. Sometimes he moves too fast ahead of Jesus. Jesus has to pull him back and go, whoa, 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 slow down. Or, even worse, which we'll talk about in a few weeks. But at least he wants to join Jesus in whatever Jesus is doing. He's like that kid who, you know, teacher says, hey, can I get a volunteer? Ooh, 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 me, me, me. I just always want to be part of it. That's Peter. That's a gift. That's a good thing. It needs to be fostered, developed, channeled correctly. It needs the right foundation. But it's a good thing. And what does Jesus do? He encourages it. All right, come on. Come on. And Peter steps out of the boat. He wanted to join him on the sea. Jesus invites him to join him. And what is Jesus doing? He's teaching a lesson to all the disciples. That's what Matthew is perceiving here. And later Matthew writes it down. Oh, I get it. Because Matthew finishes the book of Matthew with the command, go make disciples of all nations. And he's remembering this. Oh. Here's number five. We get to be part of the miracles by stepping out of the boat. It's not just us, Jesus, you know, you do something over there. Jesus is like, hey, I want you to be part of this as my image bearers who have been restored and redeemed through the cross. Remember, they had just seen Jesus do the uh, miracle of providing fish and loaves to thousands and thousands. But Jesus didn't make that food appear on plates before each person. He said to the disciples, you go hand it out. You go feed them, Right? He's showing them, and I think Peter's catching on. He's like, hey, you, he wants us to be part of everything he's doing. Say the word, and I'll join you. And Jesus says, come on. Go. Come out of the boat. And, 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 and Matthew, I think, is seeing that this is, this is what it's going to be like to follow Jesus. He's going to say, go proclaim the kingdom of God to people whose hearts seem so hardened. But guess what? Jesus is going to show up and provide the fishes and loaves. He's going to say, go heal sick. People who are chronically like, well, I can't. I, who am I? I can't heal nobody. No, you can't. But let, watch, I'm going to provide fishes and loaves. I want you to go care for orphans and widows in their distress. But I got no money. I just got a little bit. And this is what I had to pay the rent. And he's like, go, watch. I'm going to provide the fishes and loaves if you're willing to give up what is precious to you. What might God be calling you to join him in. What kind of miracle might he be inviting you to step out of the boat to join him in? Is it to share, is it to share the gospel with somebody crossing the street that feels awkward? Inviting somebody over for dinner? 
praying for healing for somebody with a chronic illness? Is it taking time and money to go to another round of marriage counseling when you feel like your marriage is dead and hopeless? The other day I was talking to somebody whose work involves stepping into situations with people, meeting with them in crisis, and they had said to me that this one is, um, uh, for the first time, I don't know where to go with this one. I don't know how to help. I don't know what to do. And um, I said, well, I'm preaching on this, so Jesus is clearly calling you to step out of the boat. See if he meets you there. So we prayed, prayed that something would click, that they would just see in the middle of a meeting how they might be able to help and serve and uh, the situation. And later on, a few days later, I talked to that person and they said, yeah, it clicked. It was so good. God showed up, showed me an angle. And so it's, it's big things and it's small things. It's everyday things that he calls us to. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Number six. Our risks must be based on Jesus' word. I don't know if you saw it or caught it, but Peter, let me go back. Peter, um, tell me to come to you on the water. He didn't just jump out of the boat and presume that Jesus would have him walk on water, right? He said, tell me to come, and Jesus is the one who said, come. And Peter walks on water or gets out of the boat first, as a response to the words of Jesus, right? You see that? So we can't just make up willy-nilly, well, I feel like doing this, and so that's a promise from Jesus, and I'm going to do it. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Just because you have a desire in your heart for something doesn't mean Jesus is telling you to do it. But there are things that are clearly Jesus is telling us to do. We have his words in Scripture, and it calls us to risk, now, yes, there are areas of Scripture where there might be uh, debate between Christians over how to interpret something, but there's a lot of clear-cut black and white things. The danger of gossip. Don't gossip, for example. And we go, well, I think my situation... Or forgive our enemies. Forgive those who persecute us. Bless those who persecute us. How about this one? Don't forsake gathering and assembling together as a community. And we let all kinds of things get in the way of that. Well, so long as I listen to the message later on in the week, that kind of counts as my church. And I'm not trying to shame anybody, but I want you to think about some of the things that we do and say that, that we quickly give up on. We, we withhold forgiveness sometimes, and we think, well, if, if you only knew how this person hurt me, but that's the point of loving our enemies, right? That's That's... That's, that's the whole point of an enemy. They're going to do stuff that is pretty horrendous. And yes, there are areas where it's a little gray. And then you might wonder, well, what do I do? I want to start this business. I think this might be Jesus. I'm not sure. I'm supposed to go back to school, I think, but I'm not sure. Who do I marry? What, what house do I buy? Do I buy? Do I rent? Those are things that are not clear in Scripture. And then we might wonder, well, is God calling me to do this or not? Should I take that risk or not? Um, and all I can say there is bathe it in prayer, get some wise counsel, and make a decision. There's some things that I feel like God has called me to work on outside of pastoral ministry, uh, going back to school and um, working on a particular business and a, um, a book. And recently I thought, 
No way God can be asking me to do all three of those. That doesn't make any sense. I don't have time for one of them. But I spent, I spent a few years praying about each one. And I talked to people about each one. And they just kind of all collided at once. And uh, so I'm wrestling through that. But my point is, I guess, if, if it's not clear-cut in Scripture, all we can do is pray about it, get some counsel about it, wait for God to confirm some things, and then we step out and trust God's, God's going to redeem. And even if we go off track, he's going to correct our paths. But the things that are black and white and so clear, we've got to be obedient to and not keep making up excuses. Verse 30. When he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So he starts off this journey looking at Jesus, and he's walking on the water. He starts off this journey excited. Anybody ever start off on a journey, a journey a, an endeavor, initiative, and you're excited? Your eyes are on Jesus. Oh, I'm excited. And then somewhere along the journey, Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he looks at these waves, which never stopped. Like, the waves never stopped. It, it didn't say that Jesus calmed the waves, and then Peter got out of the boat. They were going the whole time, but all of a sudden, Peter chooses to focus on them, and it makes him sink. The waves trigger fear, and the fear causes him to sink. Fear is heavy, right? Fear makes you sink. He took his eyes off of Jesus. That's what we do. We, we start a journey. We start something. We step out. Okay, we're going to reconcile this. We're going to fix this. And then things get discouraging. Sometimes things get harder before they get better, and we go, no way. Uh-uh. This, this can't be. And we, we shrink back, and we close up, and we clam up, and then we start to sink and pull back. When I uh, first felt led to um, move back from L.A. to New Jersey. I grew up in New Jersey, spent some time in L.A. through my 20s, and then uh, felt called to come back to uh, New Jersey to join uh, Jeff Borkowski and his wife in planting a church in Ocean Township. Uh, it was a year of praying, a year of not wanting to go, and, and, and God just won a scripture after another, lots of counsel. Finally, 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 it felt like it, God was saying, step out of the boat, step out of the boat, join me in this. Join me in what I want to do here. Finally said yes, joined him, moved back to New Jersey, was excited for about three days. And then I remember, I remember looking around, looking around at the weather. It was March, it was dreary, it was rainy. March is like my least favorite month. And it was so cloudy. And it was like, it was like everything was cloudy. It seemed people that were hooked on drugs. And, and, and the first few months there was, I was, I was, funerals that I just wouldn't imagine I'd be at, and uh, I was living with my parents, right? After being alone for almost a decade, and I'm in my, with my parents again, I'm like, what am I doing? This couldn't be Jesus. I didn't hear from Jesus. I was wrong. And then I started to be afraid that I didn't hear from Jesus, and what did that make me do? It made me start to sink into a depression, and then I w was irritable, and, and people around me were frustrating to me, and I think I was even picking fights with people I was on the team with to plant this church with, just because I was frustrated, so, number seven, we will be driven by fear if we focus too much on the wind and the waves. The chaotic circumstances, the difficult people around us. If we focus too much on those things, we're going to start to sink. If we focus too much on that doctor's report, we're going to start to sink. We're going to start to sink. Our um, bookkeeper recently, you know, we, we've, 
we get these quarterly reports on our finances and we found out that our, our, our money that's come into our church has been low this year, uh, lower than expected, significantly lower than expected, um, actually, which didn't surprise me, kind of, because, you know, stuff with the economy, other churches, I'm hearing the same thing. Um, but our bookkeeper said that there were some people who had been given regularly who either stopped or, or their giving had significantly dropped off. And that concerned me. It didn't concern me as a church, like, oh no, what are we going to do? I wasn't worried like that. But it concerned me for anybody who might be driven by fear. I was just concerned. I don't know who gives what. So I don't know who those people might be. I don't know. That's, you know, that's part of our policy. I don't, I don't know. But it just made me wonder, like, Lord, I hope people aren't driven by fear. I hope they're not too focused on winds and waves. Because I, like we talked about last week, Jesus says, come, step out of the boat. Take some risks for me. Watch what I'm going to do. And we miss out. My concern is we're going to miss out. We, we miss out on what Jesus is up to when we shrink back in fear. And that goes for any area. Like me moving to New Jersey, our financial giving, working on our marriages, whatever it is. And it's not meant to, again, it's not meant to shame or guilt anybody. I do it too. Our faith is fickle. Huh? Right? Can anybody else admit our faith is fickle? We start off things excited, and then we get a little discouraged, and then we, I was talking to somebody else recently, somebody in our church uh, who's, who's involved in a particular ministry, and, and I see what God is doing through their ministry in our church. And I see God's hand on it in so many ways. And they were telling me how discouraged they were because of things that happened a year ago. And in the last previous six months to a year or to two years ago, they were focused on people who had walked away from a relationship and, and things. And, and their eyes were on the difficult people instead of seeing what Jesus was up to in their ministry. We do it all the time. Our faith is fickle when we take our eyes off of King Jesus and puts it on, put it on circumstances. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? So Jesus, I know this might be silly to point out, but we got to point it out. Jesus didn't watch him go down and be like, come on, get up. Come on, get more faith. Let's go. Let's go, Peter. Get your faith together. Get up. Get back up. He reached down and he grabbed him. Right? Just, like a, just like an older brother, like a father would. Hey, man, what happened to your faith? Where'd your eyes go? Oh, come on, let's get back in the boat. Right? This was just a moment of teaching for Peter. He didn't condemn him. Jesus sees our fickleness. He sees our flakiness. He sees our discouragement. He doesn't condemn us for that. So may this not be a message. Don't let the devil use this message to condemn you. Maybe convict you a little bit to step out, but not to condemn you. Jesus is faithful even when we are faithless. That's number eight. Almost done. That's our king. He's faithful even when we're faithless, which should make us more want to fix our eyes on him. Shouldn't it? When I moved back to New Jersey and I doubted him and I was kind of being a jerk to people around me, he didn't give up on me. He convicted me, compelled me to lean into that season of some difficulties. But he was faithful to me in that. He might be faithful to you. Well, he will be faithful to you, but you might see his faithfulness if you take your eyes off of the waves and fix it on him. If there's a situation you're working through, family situation, conflict situation, something at work you're working through, and again, you've tried so many times. Jesus is like, don't, I, I, I've, I've here's, here's an example popped in my head. Um, 
I've talked to people in the past in church who have had conflict with other people in church, and I, one of the most common excuses that people make for not talking to somebody else is, well, they're, I, they're not going to react very well. This happens a lot, so don't think I'm talking about you in particular. I'm probably talking about 90% of you guys over the years, right, if you've been here. Um, in Matthew 18, Jesus said, hey, these are steps to conflict resolution. And he makes it clear, sometimes it won't go well, but we get fixed on whether or not somebody else's heart can receive it. Instead of on Jesus, I'm going to obey you, we're like, well, I'll obey you so long as I see a softening in their heart first. Right? And Jesus, again, as you step into that, you trust me to meet you with fishes and loaves, and it might not go well, but you're obedient to me. And then you take another step, and you take another step, and you walk that out faithfully. So conflict situations, money, I'm going to touch on every potential triggering topic I can today. Verse 32, we're almost done. When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. This is another thing that gets me, confuses me. They, they, they already kind of believed him to be the Messiah and God. They kind of saw that, but their faith all of a sudden is bigger. They're like, wow, like, we kind of believed it, but now we really believe it. And we'll see later on that they sort of don't believe it again. But they, in this moment, they're like, wow, you are the Son of God. We see that you are God in flesh. And that brings us to number nine. Jesus' goal is for our faith to increase, and storms are opportunities for that to happen. He calls us to step out of boats, Sometimes, especially when the waves are around us. Sometimes, especially when the winds are blowing hard. So that whether our faith stands firm or not, it's a moment where we can grow to the next level of faith. Not faith in ourselves, not faith in our own abilities. That wasn't the point of this. It was a greater awe of Jesus. Wow. Wow. Look what Jesus calls us into. Things that are so above our heads. Look what happens when we fall and stumble. He grabs us. Wow. Wow, what a king we have. What a savior we have. What a God we have. So I'm going to call the band up. We're going to end with a song that I just want us to sit for. Let the band sing over us. And then we'll stand for another song and we'll sing a, a familiar song, How Great Is Our God, together. But this first song, just let them sing over you and reflect. Reflect on what storms you might be facing right now. Where is a wind blowing contrary to where you feel like you're heading? How might God be calling you to step out of a boat? To take a faith-filled risk for him, for his kingdom, for his glory. Not your own, not your own name, for his kingdom, his glory. Marriage has been heavy on my heart lately for our church, and maybe it's that area of marriage. Try again. Try something different. Don't give in to discouragement and shut down and be emotionally paralyzed. Show more grace. The grace that you thought ran out, step out of the boat and trust that Jesus will give you 
an extra dose of love for your spouse to pour out more grace to them. Financial hardship, that testimony I read earlier, right? Maybe it's that. Everything's getting tight around you. Might Jesus be saying, hey, trust me by giving more away. Not less, but more. Relational brokenness. Try to have that conversation again. Extend forgiveness. Ministry. Regardless of what kind of ministry it is, at your job, inside the church, in your family, you feel like you've invested in somebody and you're not seeing fruit, you're not seeing changes. Maybe Jesus is saying, step out again in faith. Or maybe it's a new season of something different that he's calling you to, that you're afraid to step into. Maybe retirement. Maybe you're stepping into a season of retirement and you can't imagine that Jesus has a new purpose for you, but he does. He does. So this, let's just reflect on some of these things as the band sings this song over us. <clears throat> 